is Roger Green, host of the Surfing the Nash Tsunami podcast. This week, we are offering three conversations from episode 51, Precision Medicine, Fibrosis, Liver Function, and the Future. In this conversation, Dr. Scott Friedman summarizes key elements from his recent Paris Nash talk, focusing on precision medicine, which he defines as the right treatment or diagnostic for the right patient at the right time, and goes on to discuss the roles of microbiome, human genetics, and cell targeting through mechanisms like CAR-T. Ultimately, he discusses the history and importance of stellate cells and identifies senescent or aging stellate cells as the ultimate bad actors. Scott has the dual gifts of explaining complex phenomena simply and weaving storytelling and humor into every topic he touches. So sit back, listen, enjoy, learn, and when you're done, join the discussion on our LinkedIn and Facebook discussion groups. Stephen Harrison. A special thanks to Scott for joining us as kind of a follow-on to having Lars on last week. And I can't think of a conference I've been to virtually or in person in the past several years where I walked away from the conference just amazed at the work that's being done in this field. And you would you'd think that would be AASLD or EASL and not a smaller conference like even NASHTAG or, or the Paris NASH Summit. But I was blown away by the session on fibrosis. And I may not have even, as much as I like you, Scott, I'm not sure I would have been as attentive to your session had Arun not asked me to moderate the session. So it's a special thank you to Arun Sanyal for focusing my attention on that one section of the meeting. I I owe him a debt of gratitude because it was amazing. The three lectures, one from a pathologist, of course, and then Lars, we heard from last week, and then Scott, were just phenomenal. And just to set the stage for this, what I spend my life doing is working on new drugs for NASH and and non-invasive tests to help identify NASH and monitor response to therapy and predict outcomes. I'm always being put in a situation where I kind of give an update on the future of NASH therapies, emerging therapies, and we talk about the current mechanisms of action and how potentially that's going to lead to combination therapy and how we put the right drugs together to synergize and give us a better result for NASH resolution and fibrosis improvement, and ideally both, as well as improving the extrahepatic manifestations of disease. But really, where I guess I was not thinking was so much on how precision medicine could really help speed that process of emerging therapies up, or maybe allow us to be more individualized in our approach to therapy for this multifaceted, uh, multifactorial, complicated, and dynamic disease that we call NASH. And and so as I began to think about this a bit more and listen to Scott's talk, it has been an eye-opener for me that there's a whole new world that we're just beginning to unravel, whether it's uh, therapeutic oligonucleosides, genetic modification, the microbiome, or potentially this CAR-T therapy. These have the potential to be real game changers, whether they're used in isolation or in combination with some of the drugs we're currently developing. It opens a whole new playing field, and Scott's presentation 
question. I don't think I'll ever quit talking about it. It was fascinating. I'm just blessed beyond belief that you're willing to come on and share with us a little bit about what you, you're researching, what you know about fibrosis as far as modulating that, your work you've done with senolytic stellate cells and senescence and, and modifying that, all that that you spoke about. And that's just a little piece of it is fascinating. And you can explain it in a way that even people like me can understand, which I think is another feather in your cap that you can take a very complicated topic and make it easy to understand. So thank you for coming on today. Scott Friedman. Stephen, you humble me with your praise, and I'm grateful to be here. I only wish my mother was alive to hear it. No kidding. So um, maybe I'll amplify the theme of precision medicine and talk about how it intersects with gene therapy and some of the newer techniques around stellate cells. Actually, Steve was kind enough to not only include me in the Paris Nash program, but also in his NLC. And I gave two separate lectures, one in the National Liver Conference was on precision medicine, and the one in Paris was on really about stellate cell heterogeneity. And Stephen and Arun Sanyal, who was the main organizer of Paris Nash, always managed to pick topics I feel like I'm deficient in. And there's no better way to motivate yourself to get up to speed than to have to talk about it publicly or even in a conference. So I've had some time to reflect on both those topics and where they intersect. Precision medicine, just strictly speaking, is the right treatment or diagnostic for the right patient at the right time. That's the ultimate goal. But clearly, there's a lot more embedded in that. And the precision comes in different elements of human health and disease. It comes in terms of the genetics, that is what their genes encode, what variants change the behavior of the proteins that they encode, some of which is linked to their ethnicity. And that's particularly important in NASH and particularly in regions like the one where Steve practices, where Latin Americans have a higher prevalence of a particular gene variant that predisposes them to fatty liver disease in NASH and alcoholic liver disease. So there's the genetics, precision, element. There's the genes, and I'm not talking only about the genes that are being expressed as proteins in our bodies, but also the genes that are being expressed by the bugs in our microbiota. So that's really one of the hottest and most fascinating topics there is. This unbelievable realization that with the trillion bacteria that we carry around in our bodies, that they're not just lying around doing nothing. They're influencing so many elements of disease, disease risk, disease pathogenesis, disease treatment. You know, you can ask, well, we knew bacteria were in the colon, for example, for a long, long time. Why now in the 21st century or in 2021 are we beginning to think about the microbiome more intensively? And really the part of the reason has to do with technology. That is, we now have the capacity to define or to assess the actual sequence of the bacterial genome, find out how that leads to changes in what the bacteria do and how those changes may change the way the bugs interface with the human tissue that they reside around, particularly in the gut. You know, when Steve and I were, and probably urine as well. When we were medical students, and I'm older than these two youngsters, when we were medical students, the way you defined what a bug was and what it did is what media did it grow on? So you were trying to find out what kind of bacteria. Well, it grew on chocolate agar and it didn't grow on this agar and it grew on that agar. It was really primitive. And now we can sequence the bugs. This technological revolution that we're more familiar with in the context of sequencing the human genome has had an equally transformative effect on our understanding of bacterial biology and how it interfaces with the human 
human immune system and human health and disease. So there's another element of precision. And then the other element of precision is the precision of therapies, therapies that are guided missile to target either getting a drug into a specific cell, or in the case of CAR T cells, which I'll explain in just a minute, are actually a designer cell that seeks out only certain molecules expressed on certain cells and either kills those cells or modifies them in the case of CAR T. So the precision is just breathtaking. Uh, and I want to zero in a little bit on the precision around the gene expression in stellate cells. So if you remember from my introductory comments, my obsession is this wonderful cell type in the liver known as the stellate cell. I should digress and say, by the way, when I came into the field, every continent had their own pet name for the cell. So the Japanese called it the Ito cell, the Germans called it the fat storing cell, the um, Dutch called it the perisinusoidal cell, and the Americans called it the lipocyte. So my first paper described lipocytes, but they were all the same cell type. One other fun fact is that in 1992, I got so fed up with having to write all the synonyms for the cell types in articles that I actually mounted a faxing campaign because we didn't have email in 92. So I sent around a fax to everybody who'd ever published in the field. And I said, look, this is insane. Let's standardize the name. I propose we choose the name that was originally assigned to it by the German pathologist in the 1800s, Kupfer, who called them Sternzellen, which Jorn can translate, but I think it means star-like cells. I was further saying, I'm not trying to stick to my name. In fact, I have to change the name too. And so with a couple of grumpy curmudgeons, except for them, whose names shall remain anonymous, everybody said, yeah, it's a good idea. And so now we call them stellate cells. So let me return to the idea of precision and, and stellate cells, because what I talked about in the session that Stephen chaired in Paris, by the way, Stephen, I think one of the reasons that meeting was so exceptional was just the sheer joy of being in person at a meeting with our colleagues, which for me was the first time. So we were a little bit high on humors of goodwill and friendship that were circulating around that room after such a long time of Zoom deprivation. But I talked about the power of these technologies in now collecting and sequencing genes from individual cells and, and, and then adding them up to create effectively a, a painting, if you will, almost like, I guess I never thought of it this way, like a Surat painting, you know, pointillist painting where every dot represents a single cell. Instead of just mixing up the liver and mashing it up and saying, well, all the genes that are expressed in this big gamish of liver are this, that, and the other, we can now say, well, this cell is expressing these genes and that cell is expressing those genes. And that has been, as I mentioned, I think in my lecture, the most transformative technology in my career since the advent of polymerase chain reaction or PCR, which obviated the need for some very tedious techniques like RNAs protection in northern blot for those cognoscenti in the field. Single cell gene sequencing and single cell transcriptomics has been stunningly informative in telling us what every single cell in the liver is doing in terms of the genes they express. Uh, the speaker who gave a wonderful overview, Prakash Ramachandran, who had the first and in many ways still the best paper of single cell sequencing in fibrotic human liver, had a wonderful metaphor. He showed a fruit smoothie with multiple fruits that had been blended together and it had this kind of nice, presumably nice aroma, but it had a nice purplish color. But it didn't tell you which fruits and in what amounts went into that fruit smoothly after it had been in the blender. But instead, if you took little bowls of individual fruits and said, these are all the ingredients, that's effectively what single cell sequencing provides, is how every single dot in the Surat painting or every fruit in the smoothie actually contributed the overall flavor. That's a wonderful metaphor. He actually went one step further. There's a, an even further refinement on the technique of single cell transcriptomics, which is that you can actually visualize the individual genes in the individual cells in a slice of tissue under the microscope, and that's called spatial transcriptomics. And there he analogized that if I mix the fruit 
in a certain pattern within a bowl, you can actually see where the fruit lie, not just how many of them are and what color they are. What has that meant for us stellate cell geeks? Well, it's meant that we can now not just reinforce what we knew, that the stellate cells are important for fibrosis and they become more important as injury to the liver progresses, but also that there are different subtypes of stellate cells that subserve different functions. And that leads us to the CAR T-cell story that Steve and Jorn had talked about in your previous podcast, which is that there is this spectacular technology created by a number of great labs. Carl June is often recognized as one of the fathers of CAR-T therapy. And it's a way of taking a T-cell that has the power, a little factory and the power to destroy target cells, and engineering that T-cell so that it hones in on a protein of interest in your target cell. Why is that important for stellate cells? Well, it turns out that there's a subset of stellate cells that we barely recognized before that have these features of senescence, which are simply put, they're kind of old age cells, but really there's much more to it. Nonetheless, there's good data to suggest that this very small fraction of stellate cells that are senescent are really the baddest of the bad actors. And if you could get rid of those and leave the other stellate cells to do their thing, and particularly to support liver function, you'd really have literally a guided missile. And work done by Scott Lowe and Michelle Satellite and Sloan Kettering, and I give them all the credit. I was involved in the project, but really from a perspective of the context and the models that they were using. And they designed CAR T-cells for a very specialized purpose and for the first time showed that you can use these guided missiles not just to target cancer cells for which CAR T-cells were originally developed, but rather you can use them to target these subsets of senescent stellate cells, thereby clearing these bad of the baddest actors and allowing the liver to heal more readily and improve its function. And this is just the beginning. You know, I, I can tell you the prospect of using CAR-Ts for non-cancer diseases like fibrosis is something that's very realistic. It will take a while to sort out because clearly we want the Goldilocks effect. We want to take out just the right number of cells of the right type and not all the cells. And if we're successful at that, we may have yet another treatment. Lots of questions ahead of us for that particular challenge. But nonetheless, you know, my comments really illustrate the power of these new technologies and the doors that they open for the first time that give us a three-dimensional vista that was unimaginable even 10 years ago. And now, back to Roger. We hope you've enjoyed this recording. If you have any questions or comments about the content of this conversation or the entire episode, please send an email to questions at surfingnash.com. We'll be back next Wednesday, October 27th, to discuss using MRE to predict outcomes in chronic liver disease with Alina Allen of the Mayo Clinic. Ian Rowe will also join to share questions and reflect on how this connects to some of his work in Leeds. I hope you'll join us then. Until then, stay safe, surf on. See you on the podcast. Bye-bye now.